Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Gary DeMar and the American Vision have now partnered with the Canon app. This week, we are dropping audio and video content every day onto the Canon app from American Vision. Download and subscribe today as we build out the best platform for Christian content on the market. Welcome to the podcast. This is the podcast. I'm Douglas Wilson. This is episode 183. 183. That seems like a lot, you know? So, I want to talk a little bit about the problem of illegitimacy. And I'm talking about the uh, presidential election just passed a month or so ago and all the turmoil that uh, followed the accusations of cheating and robbery and so on. One of the cases, uh, well, the cases that went up to the Supreme Court were just a short time ago uh, turned down, and uh, Justice Thomas and Justice Alito objected strongly to turning down the case, and, and I think that they, uh, they were onto something important. Um, they said, basically, confidence in the electoral process is really important to the stability of a nation, to the stability of a, a body politic, and this is exactly right. I saw somewhere that uh, three out of four Trump voters, like three out of four uh, Trump voters, believe that the election was stolen. Now, this means that there's a legitimacy problem, even if the election wasn't stolen. All right, so let's let's assume that uh, the election was not stolen. There were not Dominion um, voting machines were as clean as a hound's tooth. There were no non-existent persons voting. There was nothing like that. There was nothing like that. The election was on the up and up, but. In a remarkable chain of uh, bad luck uh, circumstances, or bad luck or bad moves or bad decisions on the part of uh, the people running the show, the honchos, the powers that be, decided to act as though they were as guilty as sin. In other words, um, fighting to keep uh, voting machines from being impounded or examined, having cases thrown out on procedural grounds or standing grounds, not having the evidence out, and then robustly censoring people who are arguing that the election was stolen. Censoring people, shouting people down, is a great way to convince them that they're onto something. If nobody will engage and discuss it and have it out and get all the facts on the table, then it's going to sure look that way. It's sure going to smell that way. Even if the election wasn't stolen, um, the powers that be, uh, big tech, the deep state, all of these people have been acting like nothing to see here, nothing to see here. You can't even talk about it. We're going to kick you off of Facebook or kick you off of YouTube or kick you off of Twitter if you try to argue the point. Well, that results in three out of four Trump voters believing that this there was a great deal of funny business going on. And that's if there wasn't any funny business until after the election. So let's say everything was clean and normal up to the election and then after the election, all the funny business started. We're, we're going to be innocent, innocent, innocent. And then the election happens. And from that point on, we're going to act as guilty as I'll get out. Well, that's going to create a legitimacy problem. And uh, of course, it's even compounded. It's even more serious if there was funny business in the election, as I'm convinced there was. 
And then the people acting guilty afterwards are acting guilty because they, in fact, were guilty. So there's a lot of Christians on the side of the people who think that the election was stolen. And Christians are people who, who are called upon to resort to Scripture when they have a dilemma, when they have a problem, when they have a question that needs to be answered. What they need to do is turn to Scripture. What, do you, what does the Bible say about illegitimate rule? So, one example that comes to mind is the example of Athaliah and uh, Jehoiada. You recall that in the, uh, in the story, Athaliah's um, son dies, and she, as the queen mother, basically, uh, has all the seed royal uh, killed. One of the young boys, who is going to be the future king, is hidden, successfully hidden. And about five years go by, and Jehoiada, the high priest, brings the, um, uh, the, the, ki- the rightful king out, still a boy. And this is about five years later, I believe, if, if I'm remembering it rightly, and has his, um, has his right to the throne openly declared in what is, a f- what is in effect, a coup, right? Athaliah comes out, and she sees what's going on, and she cries out, treason, treason. Now, of course, she was the treasonous one. She was the one who seized power by killing a bunch of people and who was reigning in that fashion. And then when uh, the coup against her happened, she cries out treason, and then she is overthrown and executed by Jehoiada. Jehoiada is very clearly, in the narrative, a good guy. Now, the lesson here for Christians is that, in principle, okay, in principle, it's not a violation of Romans 13, not a violation of 1 Peter 2, to overthrow an illegitimate ruler. Someone who seized power in an ungodly way is not a violation of anybody's conscience if that person is removed. But, and this is an important but, Jehoiada was the high priest. Jehoiada was in a position to do something. It was a high-stakes game for him. It was um, a real challenge for him. But he had uh, the resources to pull off what he, in fact, pulled off. I'm just addressing here the uh, legitimacy of the thing in principle. Uh, Jesus tells us that if uh, two generals are going out to fight one another, it's a prudent thing to count the troops and, uh, and to settle before you go, come to battle. If you're greatly outgunned, he tells us that you, if you, before you begin building a tower, you want to make sure you, you've counted your shekels and, and you've got enough to complete it. Otherwise, you'll become a laughingstock. So, all of this is building up to what I would encourage Christians to do. Given the way the election went, given the way that the left is demanding more and more crazy things, whether it's lockdown things or masking things or do the walk of shame because you're white sort of things or the transgender sort of stuff, all of the crazy that's coming down on us, I believe is, uh, I believe that America is a room full of fumes. And in the room full of fumes, I believe we should wait on the Lord patiently and we should wait for the flashpoint. We don't know what the flashpoint is going to be but I'm pretty confident there's going to be a flashpoint. And then when that flashpoint happens, we're going to have to decide which way we're going to go, what, what we're going to do. And I don't know what that flashpoint is going to be. I really have no idea. It could be, it could be a restaurant owner in California refusing to close. It could be 
a state refusing to uh, implement one of Biden's executive orders. It could be, you know, it could be any number of things. Ideally, Christians should want it to be coming from a lesser magistrate, a sheriff or a, a mayor or a governor saying no to the encroachments of the, of the federal government. But basically, what we need to do is pray and wait. The room is full of fumes. We don't know what the spark is going to be. Generally, people who appoint themselves, to, I'm going to be that spark. I'm going to be that one who sets off the conflagration. The motivation is entirely wrong. And it, it, you're trying to be like John Brown at, at Harper's Ferry. That's just two tons of no good. So continuing with podcast uh, episode 183, we come to our hamartiology section. So continuing with our study of hamartiology, our word this time is dahlia. Dahlia meaning fear. Dahlia, D-E-I-L-I-A. Dahlia meaning fear. There's only one instance of this word in the New Testament, and it applies to fear as a sinful attitude. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. Because Scripture teaches us here, and in many other places, that we are not to be cowardly and afraid, and that perfect love casts out fear, as fear has to do with punishment, which we read in 1 John 4.18. We have to make some distinctions. It appears that fear is an inescapable concept. By that, I mean it is not whether we fear, but rather what we fear. It's not whether we fear, we're going to fear something. It's not whether we fear, but rather what we fear. If we fear God, then we will not fear man. And if we fear man, we will not fear God. We are actually commanded to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, That's in Philippians 2.12. In Hebrews 12.28, the fear of the Lord is described as a grace, as a gift from Him. So it's entirely a good thing. If fearing God is a grace, it's a gift, it's a present. And the kings of the earth are commanded to kiss the sun and to do it while rejoicing with trembling. So. Rejoice with trembling. Notice those two things go together. It's uh, trembling in the fear of the Lord, also rejoicing. Psalm 2.11. But when the Spirit regenerates us, He does not give us, it says here, a spirit of fear. So when the Spirit regenerates us, it's not a spirit of fear, by which is meant a spirit of timidity or of cowardice. That is not to be how we are to be characterized. That's not the way it should go. Here we are in the podcast, uh, episode 183. Uh, the book I want to review uh, this go-round is a book by, a recent book by R.R. R. Reno, and it's uh, called Re- The Return of the Strong Gods. The Return of the Strong Gods. This is basically a cultural, philosophical, political history of the 20th century, moving into our position in the 21st century. And his thesis is um, unusual, and once he lays it out, glaringly obvious. (laughs) So, I found this to be a fantastic book. I'm not quite done with it. So, he might finish lame, I don't know. But to the point where I am right now, this book is fantastic. So, what what Reno argues is that the First World War and the Second World War occupied 1914 through 1945, were a massive trauma to Western civilization. 
It was just a traumatic half century. And all the old certainties were upended, unsettled. And a consensus arose almost right after the uh, Second World War and was starting to coalesce, I think, before. But uh, this was that the authoritarian mindset, uh, the kind of people who would goose step after Hitler, these sorts of people, the, this sort of the kind of person with strong convictions was the cause of war. And we needed to be done with our strong convictions. And Reno discusses this uh, basically as the banishment of the strong gods. And of course, strong gods can be evil or good, evil or righteous. But the uh, post-war, post-World War II uh, consensus was that a desire for metaphysical truth, uh, the desire for an overarching transcendent set of values was simply put simply the cause of war. We needed to be done with metaphysical certitude. We needed to be done with that kind of um, commitment to the transcendent. Now, the problem with this, and I, it's kind of astonishing to me that, that this error got this far, because when, if someone says we must be done with absolutes, well, he said absolutely. The defense, is, so, so basically, in the post-war, post-war liberal establishment, the secular establishment after the Second World War wanted to be governed by the dictum that diversity is our strength. They wanted to follow the weak gods. We wanted to know kind of what was what and where up it was and where down was, but we didn't want to hold to anything too tenaciously. Any kind of dogmatism, any kind of commitment, any kind of ferocity in, de in defense of the truth was seen as a harbinger of another world war. But of course, what you're doing is if there's a, <laughs> I'll put it this way, there's always a strong God somewhere. There's always a strong God somewhere. And if you banish all strong gods, that simply means that you're putting your strong God in the basement or behind the curtain. You're still going to persecute people savagely for not getting with the program. You're just not going to be able to recognize the fact that you are doing so. When Hitler persecuted the Jews, at least he knew what he was doing. At least he had a clear vision of what he wanted to accomplish with that. The persecutors today, I call them intoleristas, the persecutors today somehow believe that they are being open and frank and honest and flexible when they are being ferociously intolerant. And this is because they have hidden their strong God somewhere on the premises, but he's still there. So anyway, uh, this is a fantastic book. It really helps to explain why and how our culture is disintegrating around us as we speak and as we watch. I really uh, recommend this uh, book, Return of the Strong Gods by R.R. R. Reno. Mm -hmm.